Welcome to Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design. In today's episode, we're going to talk all about WordPress. My name is James Quick, and I am a JavaScript developer, speaker, and teacher. My name is Amy Dutton. I am a UI UX designer and front-end developer. Web development and design, who would have guessed what we can do on both, even at a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. Today, we are joined by three fabulous sponsors. Zeal is a software consultancy, and they are hiring. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs, and Dato CMS is a performant headless CMS. I know this episode focuses almost entirely on WordPress, but if that's not your jam, or if you want to stay entirely in the jam stack, that's completely fine. We have just the sponsor for you. James, since you've had the folks from Dato CMS on your YouTube channel, do you want to tell us a little bit more about them? Dato CMS is a complete and performant headless CMS built to offer the best developer experience and user friendliness in the market. One of the things I think is really interesting and neat on their website is if you hover on their wide Dato CMS tab in the nav bar, you see sections for developers, digital markers, and content creators. So it's got the entire audience covered. They also provide a rich CDN powered GraphQL API with real time updates, which is really neat. So all of you who love working with GraphQL and are looking for something that has real-time updates, this is really, really cool. They also provide a super flexible way to handle dynamic layouts and structured content and then have best in-class image and video support with progressive image loading out of the box. So if you're looking for a headless CMS that can help represent every member of your team, make sure to check out Dato CMS. Awesome. Yes, special thanks to Dato CMS for being a compressed FM sponsor. So, James, what have you been up to this week? Uh, Today, actually, for my brother-in-law's birthday, he's been wanting to build a workbench like the one that I built for myself a while back. And so for his birthday, we took him to Home Depot, bought the supplies, and then this morning spent five hours and built the workbench. They were out of the caster wheels, the big heavy-duty ones, so we got to wait for those to come in. But everything else is done, so we built a workbench this morning. That is awesome. You need to send a picture so we can include that in the newsletter. Oh, yeah, I will. And what about you? What have you been up to? So we have been on a Lego Masters kick on Hulu. So we've been watching season two as it's been coming out. But then we've also gone back and watched season one. And that's just been a super fun family activity. We've just sat and watched almost every night. But then yesterday, the girls and I went and bought a giant tub of Legos. And so we've been building stuff as a family. And that's been really fun. That's awesome. My nephews love Legos. Also, my brother-in-law is totally an 80s kid and loves toys and everything that he can get that reminds him of the toys from the 80s. He's like super jazzed about. So we went to, I'd never been, but Tuesday morning is like a Marshall's type store. And he was like, I just want to check to see if they have this one thing really quick. And so he got a few things for his kids for Christmas because it was a good deal. And then he like came around the corner holding this other thing, like giggling about how excited he was for it. And I was like, okay, just add it to the birthday tab. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? It was some sort of Lego Star Wars thing, I think. Oh, fun. And the other things for the kids were Legos, Ghostbusters stuff. Oh, nice. He made out like a bandit. He's very excited. That's awesome. We need to go to like Goodwill and see if they have Legos because I've heard that's the best place to go find stuff or go to yard sales instead Mm -hmm. of paying $50 like we did for a giant tub. (laughs) Yard sales is where it's at. (laughs) Yep, for sure. Speaking of yard sales, WordPress, am I right? I mean, (laughs) those are like, they go hand in hand. Amy, do you want to tell us what is WordPress? Where do we start? What is WordPress all (laughs) about? Transition. Uh, Yes. So WordPress is a CMS, which is a content management system, and you can use that to basically power your website and make the content on it dynamic. So you're not having to constantly update HTML and CSS files. You just 
essentially fill out a form on a web page and it will update your site with that particular content. And it stores all that information in the database behind the scenes. WordPress is actually run behind the scenes. We'll talk a little bit more about how this works in a little bit is PHP. So this is a little bit different for a lot of people. We spend most of our time now, at least in the JavaScript ecosystem. PHP a little bit different. But the other important aspect of this is not only can it do the content management piece and save your information into a database, it also has the ability to then create and display your website. So it represents the back end, the management of the content, and then the front end, the actual website that people see all in one thing. That's right. I would actually venture to guess that WordPress is still today one of the most popular ways to make websites. And so the question to you, Amy, is does WordPress still matter in 2021? Is it still being used? Is it still relevant in the web development ecosystem? Yeah, definitely. I went to pull stats because I knew WordPress powered about a third of the internet and that percentage has gone up even more. So it currently powers 40% of all websites. And for any site that's using a CMS, it powers 65.2%. So that's a considerable amount. I was surprised how powerful that is, especially since I feel like it gets kind of a bad rap. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But there's a total of 1.3 billion total websites on the web and more than 455 million use WordPress, which is crazy. So it has 2 million downloads every day. That blows my mind. Yeah, it's really wild. I think we both live in the modern ecosystem of web where we're like at the very least exploring these new technologies and frameworks and things as they come out. Like I said, we spend the majority of our time in the JavaScript ecosystem. But these are really important points to call out to say WordPress does kind of get a bad rap. People think they've forgotten about it for people that don't really use it all that often. But the reality is sites all over the world and a huge percentage of them are still on WordPress. So we'll talk a little bit more about the viability in terms of if you were to build a website, what kind of websites make sense for you to use WordPress. But just know that like there's lots and lots and lots of use cases for WordPress and it's still being used all over the world. Yeah, so there's two different kinds of WordPress. There is .com and .org. And .org is open source. It's where you can download the code for WordPress and you take care of the hosting. So you take care of where the front end, the back end, and your database all go. There's also .com where that's hosted on WordPress's server, which means that it's free. You're not having to deal with all that hosting, but it does come at a kind of price. So they have certain features locked and then you pay money to get those features unlocked. And this is one of the big differences behind this as well. You mentioned .org is open source. So that means you have access to all of the actual code that powers WordPress. And what's behind the scenes is not all that different than things that we've seen in frameworks that we use today and different templating engines that we use today. Something like React, where we take variables and using JSX, display them into our website. The same kind of thing happens in these PHP templates where you have like little placeholders for variable data. You can have conditions and loops and all that same sort of stuff. So there's actually with.org this entire set of files that you can go in and completely customize. But then the .com side, you're just completely inside of the browser. You don't get any source code. You don't have the ability to actually change any source code directly. You're really pretty locked in to what's there and then the plugin extension ecosystem on top of it. That's right. So you can still control the design and the functionality through plugins and themes. But again, you're also having to pay money to unlock some of those special features. And that was something that I knew nothing about for years, the difference between .com and .org. And I really thought that WordPress as a whole was really only geared towards people building websites that didn't know how to write code. They just needed like a website built and they didn't know how to write code themselves. I didn't realize that .org 
was the entire ecosystem where you write a bunch of custom scripts and plugins and themes, and you can do customization over how you handle routing and things. You do all the customization behind the scenes. And I never knew that until, I guess at this point, it's been five or six years. But a friend of mine worked at the NBA at the time outside of New York in New Jersey. And he said that they were using WordPress. And that kind of opened my mind to the fact that WordPress was this much bigger thing for developers than I thought it was. I thought it was just for people in the past who didn't write code, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. So maybe that's why it's so popular is that it does have options for people that don't know code, but it also has options for people that do. So if you don't know code, there's a thing called page builder, where it's like this drag and drop where you can drag these elements onto your page and build it out. So three of the most popular ones, I mean, there's tons of them, but three of the most popular ones are Divi, Elementor, and Beaver Builder. And they basically all do the exact same thing and allow you to build out your site without code. If you're interested in moving that direction, the things that I would really consider are what you want out of your site long-term. So the last time that I evaluated all of those options, Beaver Builder seemed to degrade the most gracefully. (laughs) So basically, if you got to the point where you decided, I don't want to have a page builder, I want to do something else, and you turn off that page builder, with Beaver Builder, your site would still work. The way that they implement everything, it would degrade gracefully, and you could still have a usable site. Whereas DV and Elementor, you build your site, and it's so ingrained in their ecosystem that you might as well just start over. Yeah, and that's a tough transition after the fact. I think we've both kind of had thoughts as we build our sites now from custom code about what kind of lock-in we may have in different aspects and how to make sure we open ourselves up to opportunities in the future. I haven't done a ton of WordPress, but I started my personal site was on WordPress and I used Divi. I did two freelance projects, like the only freelance projects I've ever done were WordPress with Divi as well. And I think my sister's website for her art studio at the time was in Divi. And it's cool because it gives you no code options that are reinforcing code concepts. It gives you concepts of CSS like padding and margin and centering text and that sort of stuff and general layout stuff. But I did find myself at a certain point as I became a better developer and more experienced with CSS and just web development in general, I found myself really wishing this would be simpler if I could just write the code because I know how to do this pretty simply. And instead of having to go through the actual theme builder or page builder itself and figure out how they do that thing, which is a little more specific. So definitely super, super useful, even for people who know how to write code, even for people that are super experienced, but especially for people who are getting started. And then you may or may not grow out of it like I did and want full control over the code and start customizing stuff that way in the future. Yeah, I think if you are wanting to get started with freelance stuff, WordPress is a great entry point to that. When I was doing freelance full time, that's basically all I did for seven years was create custom WordPress themes. So we can move in that direction with the conversation. So if you do know code, you can create a custom theme. And a lot of times, at least when I was doing this full time, I would design something in Sketch or Figma. The client would sign off on it. And then I would build a custom theme so that the client could edit their website with that look and feel. You can also start with, say, a premium theme and install that and customize that. Because you have access to the code, you can control the way that that premium theme might look. Or you can just, like I said, code your own from scratch. And that's what I did. So if you are interested in looking at my starting point, because basically I created a custom starting point theme that I would just apply to every single project that I worked on. So I wasn't having to reinvent the wheel every single time. If you're part of the newsletter or if you'll check the show notes, I'll include a link to that particular repository. Feel free to use it however you'd like. 
That's great. Yeah, it's a cool exercise, I think, as well. So I got into a kick of not actually building themes myself, but watching a ton of videos on how to build themes. And I really enjoyed it, like really understanding how WordPress behind the scenes works and getting into that code. Like I said, I didn't write very much myself, but just watching those tutorials on how to do it was pretty interesting. And you can learn a lot of great programming concepts, like talking about loops, because that's really all you're doing. You're grabbing content from a database and then looping over that content to Mm -hmm. display it. So it is a great entry point if you're just starting out, or even if you're not, you can do some really complex stuff with WordPress. Okay. So a few things why people might be hesitant to maybe try WordPress or why it might have a bad rap. I think one is because it uses PHP, which I know people can be opinionated about PHP. And some of the reasons are the older versions of the code, you were more limited in what you can do. Now it's totally up to date. You can create classes and objects and all kinds of crazy stuff, just like you can in any other language. But with WordPress, a lot of times people are copying and pasting code snippets that they find on the internet. It's called cowboy coding or script kitty, that kind of thing, where you're just copying and pasting snippets that you find instead of really knowing exactly what they do. So sometimes these themes can be dirty or feel like spaghetti code is what people call them because they have all these different pieces of code that really don't have any structure or any form because people that aren't 100% sure what they're doing are just copying and pasting. Yeah, I've definitely been guilty of that myself. But I'll also add, like I've been guilty of that completely outside of WordPress too, right? Like in anything I've built, I've definitely been in a situation where I've copied code and not quite understood what it did or how it worked. And I think that's something that I tried to change with myself as I wanted to become a better web developer. I took more time to understand what was there. And if I didn't understand it, I would go down a little bit of a rabbit hole before actually including that into my project to use it as a learning opportunity, not just a, I want to get this thing done as quickly as I can. Yeah, that's a great point. There is nothing wrong with using Google or Stack Overflow. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know how people coded before those things existed. <laughs> but as James said, part of it is understanding exactly what you're copying and pasting and trying to make a point to use that as a learning opportunity instead of just trying to get to your solution as soon as possible. Yeah. Another thing that I'll add here that I think we're going to touch on in a minute, so I won't go in detail, but the idea of like the developer experience with WordPress has some difficulties of working locally versus your deployed version. It isn't quite the same as what we've gotten used to. And I think spoiled with some of our hosts today where we just connect to a GitHub repository, we push the code, it automatically builds and it's deployed. There's a little bit more that goes into that. So we'll talk about some of those difficulties here in a few minutes when we get into the plugin ecosystem of WordPress. And then I think the last reason that WordPress gets a bad rap is because there's a lot of hacking that goes on with WordPress. So because it powers 40% of the internet, people know that there's certain backdoors, certain holes, or if there's themes or plugins that are not updated, that they can basically sneak into your site and hack away and do pretty malicious stuff if people aren't careful and they don't know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that's part of the reason why people are so excited about the Jamstack. If you think about this idea of static resources that can be hosted somewhere, you may not have to have this full server that you have to update and patch and all that sort of stuff. So that really helps mitigate some of the potential issues that you might have with something like WordPress. We'll talk about a few different hosts here in a minute. But for people that are maybe nervous about that, you can get hosts that will automatically update your WordPress deployment. So you may or may not want that It's something that you need to make a decision on. It does make it a lot easier, though, to make sure that you are constantly up to date is to just have a host take care of that for you. That's right. Let me take a brief moment and talk about the company that I work for, Zeal. 
They actually sponsor our podcast. They design custom applications and develop primarily in Rails and React. They're a remote-first company even before the pandemic. They're based out of Southern Oregon, but I live outside of Nashville, and we have team members across the entire country. But Zeal holds a special place in my heart because, as I mentioned, I work there. But I can honestly say it's the best place that I've ever worked. And good news for you, they are hiring, so you could work with me. At Zeal, one of our core principles is bridge the gap. So we've noticed there's a gap in the industry between juniors and seniors. So we want to help juniors level up and achieve that next level within their career path. So with that in mind, I'm going to highlight a particular job that we're hiring for right now, and I'm super stoked about this. It's called the Software Residency, and this position is specifically for that junior designer or developer that wants to be mentored and level up and eventually become a senior. So this position is all about becoming that unicorn, for lack of a better word, but it's that person that can do UI, UX, and development. So similar to a medical residency, you'll be partnered actually with me and we'll work together on projects. We'll also be partnering with Learn, which is a coding bootcamp, and they'll provide career growth and professional development through one-on-one coaching. So I think the whole setup is pretty unique. You can find more information on the website, softwareresidency.com. And of course, I'll include a link within the show notes. Special thanks to Zeal for being a Compressed.fm sponsor. I think one of the best things about WordPress is the community because anytime I've run into any trouble, I can always Google and find exactly what I'm looking for. And with that really strong community comes their plugin ecosystem. And that's really what drives WordPress. So there's a few plugins that I put on just about every single site that I've built in WordPress. Advanced custom fields is one. And this is if you're a developer and you're creating your own custom theme. But what that allows you to do is create these custom fields, as the name suggests, and basically build out your page however you want. So if you were to hand that over to a client, there's a field for every content place on their site that they can update and manage the site content. And by default, with regular WordPress instance, like if you're creating a post, you would have a title, the body, a date, author, things like that. And if you wanted to add something really interesting, like an affiliate link to Amazon to a product or something, and you wanted to have that outside of the body in its own field, because every article is going to have an affiliate link. This is not the best fit, but just some sort of additional metadata that's going to be consistent across those items that WordPress doesn't account for directly, you can add that using this plugin is what you're saying. That's right. So WordPress actually has a custom field that you can enter at the bottom. But in order to use that, you have to provide the specific name and value that you want for every single custom field. So that's a lot of pressure to put back on the client to say, you can add this content, but please put the exact name, the exact format that I need it to at the bottom. And so instead of pushing that back on the client, what you can do is use this plugin called Advanced Custom Fields and create individual text boxes for each of those fields so that they're not having to take care of all that formatting and you're alleviating a lot of that burden from your client. Advanced Custom Fields also has different pieces like a gallery where you can inject a photo gallery. You can do custom layouts where I've created basically these stripes of content and then the client can go in and pick which stripe of content they want and how they want that to be displayed. There's conditional fields. So I can say if the client selected this post as a video, then it'll display the video template. Or if they said it's an audio post, it'll display the audio post content. And there's just a lot of flexibility that that plugin has. And I actually have a developer license to it. So that means I can put it on any site that I am the developer on. I've gotten my money's worth out of that plugin. 
Another plugin that I use is Gravity Forms. So if you want to have, say, a contact form on your site, you most likely want to reach for a form plugin. And the advantage to this, too, is if somebody submits the form, you can save those entries on the back end and have access to them later. You can also have them email the client when somebody makes a submission. So Gravity Forms is one of the more premium ones. But again, I have a developer license, so I can put that on multiple sites. So if you do have a WordPress business, it makes sense sometimes to invest in developer licenses in these. Otherwise, you can push that cost off to the client and build that into the project that you're building. There's a few other great options for forms because Gravity Forms can be expensive, but I do like the extensibility of it. So it will hook into MailChimp or ConvertKit or WooCommerce. I mean, the possibilities are endless. I've even used Gravity Forms to do e-commerce work because of some of the abilities that it has. And you stole a little bit of my thunder. This wasn't a notes, but I just pulled up a tab to research some of the most popular e-commerce options. And WooCommerce is the first one that comes up. That's one that I've heard about a lot as well, in Mm -hmm. addition to Shopify and several others. So I think that's just another aspect of WordPress kind of has you covered whichever way you want to go with a site through its ecosystem. Like you can find a plugin to do almost anything you can think of. And at a certain point, it does get a little hacky when you have a bunch of plugins and things like that that you're adding. It's maybe hard to keep up, but you do have the option to do almost anything you could think of. Mm -hmm. And I've created membership sites with WordPress, just, man, all kinds of stuff, content, relationship managers, so you can keep track of people. I know there's a freelance plugin that you can do where basically you create your own hub for project management with WordPress. I mean, it's crazy just the extensibility of it. The third plugin that I'll mention here, because it's again, one that I put on every single site is called Yoast. And this is great for search engine optimization. So what it will do is almost act as a coach. So you will enter in your title, you'll enter in your content for your post, And then Yoast will go in and evaluate the content to make sure that you're covered in terms of keywords and your titles and your searchability. And then it'll make recommendations based on things that you can change and update. So once you have the post perfect, there's like a little circle on there and it will turn green once it's good to go. And I know people that even do SEO for a living and they'll just say drop Yoast on there and it will get you 90, 95% of the way there. I remember that being one of my learnings with WordPress, like drawing parallels between like building something yourself and the learnings I would get versus doing it in WordPress. I still had to learn about SEO and it was through Yoast extension installed by default with the host that I was using. But I still had to learn a little bit about SEO through the same way I've now had to learn about writing the code for SEO with my Gatsby site and other sites that I've built. So there is, even if you're an entry-level developer, you're getting started and you feel like, oh, maybe I should be writing the code. There's still plenty of opportunities for you to learn along the way with using WordPress. One of the things that I think does become a little tricky, we talked a little bit about the developer experience and working locally versus your production build and managing your data in your databases. So you might run a database locally and then have a production database that's deployed. I want to come back to ask you that, Amy, what your workflow was in a second. But a couple of extensions that I found in the past to help with that is WP Migrate DB and then all-in-one WP migration. And this can help you migrate from your local setup, whatever it is, and the data that you have there to your actual deployed production version of WordPress and making sure that that data is consistent and it is what it is supposed to be. So those are a few options if people want to look into those. But I'm really curious from a developer experience perspective, Amy, how did you handle the local build versus publishing versus what's actually hosted out there on a host in the real website? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that plugin because that's exactly one that I would use. 
So just because not everybody has a great developer experience, you as a developer don't have to have a bad experience. You can still use a lot of these newer techniques and methods. And that's exactly what I did. So I would develop all the WordPress sites locally. I would actually just use MAMP, which is a great plugin for being able to get PHP and MySQL running locally on your machine. It's just like a one-click install. There's a free version and there's a pro version. And the pro version will allow you to have unique URLs for all of your development sites that you have on your computer. So I, again, paid for the pro version, but the free version will get you pretty much what you need. And there's one, if I can throw another one in there that I had started to use is, I think it's just called Local. And I think it's actually a product from a company that we'll talk about here in a second, which is Flywheel. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'm on the right page. Mm -hmm. So I migrated over to Local at some point after using MAMP as well. And it was just so easy. It did kind of everything I wanted it to. It looked nice and neat and more modern. And so that was one that I ended up using in the end, I think. Yeah. And especially if you're going to use Flywheel, I would totally go that way. And we'll talk more about hosting. But I would develop a site locally. And I even had Gulp running on my computer. I know that's not the latest and greatest build tool. Most people are using Webpack. And you can still use Webpack with WordPress. But I would use that to set up SAS on my custom theme. I would also have some scripts running to compress JavaScript, to concatenate them. So it's a single JavaScript file. I would have a script that would take all the SVGs in a particular folder and mash those together into a sprite. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do even though you might feel like you're <laughs> you're laughing because I mentioned SVGs. <laughs> I'm laughing because of SVG. We need a ding sound effect every time <laughs> Amy mentions SVGs. <laughs> Turn it to a drinking game. <laughs> yeah, you noticed me laughing and I was trying to contain my smile, but I couldn't help it. I chuckled. <laughs> I love it. We need to do a whole show on SVGs. I could talk for an hour. I mean, if we had it your way, every show would be SVGs. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I think that I would love it. I kind of poke fun at you for being into them, but they are really awesome. And I have mm-hmm. never actually sat down and worked with them. Although I have watched your series on SVGs and I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Yeah. So there's a lot of scripts that you can run to be able to make your development experience what you want it to be. I think that's one of the things that I actually like about WordPress is how open-ended that it is. So I would develop the site locally and then I would use Flywheel for hosting. And one of the reasons why I used Flywheel is because it's a managed WordPress service. And I like the fact that I wasn't in charge of the host. So if something went down, I had somebody that I could refer a client to. I could have them call Flywheel if there were ever any issues. But Flywheel would also be on the lookout for any hackers. They would keep your code clean. They would constantly update WordPress and they would notify you if there was any issues with your code. And they would also do backups built in. So I liked being Mm -hmm. able to have all those features built into their service. And I discovered that if I tried to use another hosting service and I was adding those on, it was almost equivalent to what you'd be paying for Flywheel because Flywheel is a little bit more expensive than some of the other hosting options that are out there. But one of the things that Flywheel gives you is a staging server. And so what that means is I would have a URL that I could send to clients for them to be able to preview the site or preview any changes that they have before those get pushed to production. So I would send the local build to staging and then once approved from staging to production. And so there's a couple of different ways that you can send it from staging to production. You can either have Flywheel do that 
but it will replace everything that is on the production server. So if there's comments or anything like that saved within the database, you don't want to push staging to production because that would totally overwrite all of the comments or any user-generated content that is on production. So uh, most of the time, what I would do is if it was the initial build, it would go straight to production. But after that, once the site had been live for a while and we've collected some of that user-generated content, I would push the code individually to staging and individually to production. I would actually use a service called DeployBot, which would check my repo to see what changes had been made. And then it would push those to staging or to production, depending on what branch I was pushing that code to. So like I said, you don't have to have these antiquated developer methodologies or practices or workflows. You can have the latest and greatest within WordPress. Yeah, because I think a lot of people envision WordPress as like you're doing the FTP thing yourself manually. Yeah. So it's good to hear from you because you know a lot more about this than I do. Just how to support your workflow and your build system to work similar to Mm -hmm. the things that we have today. Yeah, and it makes a big difference. And especially if you're working with somebody else using version control. The other thing that I realized if you're working by yourself, version control is almost just a must have. I was working on a site where it was working locally and then I pushed everything to production and the entire site broke. And so the nice thing about version control and deploy bot is you can roll all that back. I could just click a button, roll it back and figure out what the issue was. And really it came down to a PHP tag that was not supported on the host because they didn't have the most recent version of PHP running. So I was able to figure all that out after the fact, but that quick one-click rollback made a big difference. Yeah, that's huge. Having a way out, Mm -hmm. I think, is, is incredibly important, especially when you're working with client projects. So you mentioned you had used Flywheel, which they also created local that we talked about as well. Mm -hmm. I've seen some people that have worked at Flywheel at a few conferences, and I've always thought everything I've seen about them, including local, has just seemed really awesome. So I've admired them from afar, although I've never used their hosting. Another host that's comparable is called WP Engine, and they're actually owned by the same company. WP Engine bought Flywheel. So if you hear those two things, yeah, it's really the same company. Okay. I did not know that, but I had heard of WP Engine a ton. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. I think they've tried to keep things separate, but don't quote Mm -hmm. me on that. So those are obviously two really good options. There's tons of these, honestly. They're almost a dime a dozen, and you should do your research to see what the cost is, what the features are, things like that. But a few other ones that people might look into, Bluehost, HostGator, SiteGround, DreamHost, and Hostinger. I actually did a video on Hostinger to host a WordPress as a headless CMS combined with Next.js a few months ago on my YouTube channel if anybody wants to watch that and see what that experience was like. My freelancing experience is fairly minimal, but all of my freelancing experience came from WordPress using the Divi page builder that we talked about earlier and then hosting that on DreamHost. And what I did was my only real paid freelance client I charge them for hosting and I charge them for a tier of hosting on DreamHost and they wanted to pay for it for five years. And on that tier, I think it may have been 10 bucks a month or something. I can't exactly remember. I could host multiple sites. So I actually hosted four or five sites on DreamHost and they did the automatic WordPress and server updates and they did automatic SSL certificates. So it's actually like I created those sites years ago and they still just run and I haven't had to do anything, which is pretty nice. So I had a relatively good experience with DreamHost, but there are lots of different options out there for hosting WordPress. Yeah. So if you're going to host sites for clients, I would just recommend getting them on an annual plan. Even if you're paying the hosting company every single month, that way you're not having to go to your client and asking them to pay you every single month. 
Mm-hmm. And Flywheel actually has a program where you can pay a little bit of money and you can have the client basically register with Flywheel, but it's like a white label. So it looks like they're paying you, but really they're just paying Flywheel directly. And you can set up those payment tiers so you can make money off the hosting, but you're not having to collect that money. It's just automatic payments. That's cool. Yeah. And actually, question for you, Amy, when you do this, do you have the hosting under your account, under your name, or do you create or use an account from the client and make sure it's under their name, their password, so that you're not fully responsible for that unless they have some sort of like maintenance package or some sort of agreement with you for updates in the future? Yeah, I've done it both ways, but just after doing it for years, I don't want to be in the hosting business. And Mm -hmm. so I've just found it's better to have a client set up their information and have them do everything on their end. Again, that way you're not having to ask them every month for hosting. You can say, oh, I'll charge them $10 a month and that'll be $120 in my pocket over the course of the year for doing nothing. But it ends up being complicated. It's not free money mm-hmm. and it's not really the business that I want to be in. Agreed. Yeah, I think it worked out for me because they basically paid for my hosting for five years and I could do whatever I wanted. Five years mm-hmm. is a big deal. You know, yep. if you're trying to deal with it monthly or even annually, it can sometimes be a pain. Yep, agreed. So we've talked about how popular WordPress has been, but that it still is as well. What are the scenarios where you think WordPress makes sense as an option? Obviously, you've been doing web development and freelance for a long time now. You're perfectly capable of building sites without WordPress on your own. What would you say are some of the use cases for WordPress that make sense for different types of developers? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, if you're doing it for a client, is there a budget? Because WordPress is free, you're really just paying for hosting. WordPress is a great option. You're not having to pay for that particular content management system. Another use case is if you're a blog. I mean, that's really what WordPress was built to do was to create a blog. It's a great tool to reach for in that case. But even if they're not, I've built plenty of WordPress sites that are just brochure sites. So if you're doing more of a marketing type site that doesn't have a lot of custom application use, I would probably still encourage people to reach for WordPress. And with that, we've talked a lot about the freelance aspect of this. And I think it's such a great way to do freelance projects or working with clients because you could build those things out yourself, but then they also have the ability to go in and not mess with code, but have a nice clean dashboard to be able to create blog posts or update blog posts, and then maybe change some of the layout and some of the things that are on the actual site because they can do it in kind of a controlled environment where you control what they have access to. And you may be able to do a complete handoff at that point. If it Mm -hmm. was a set of code that you were handing off, they probably are going to need to come back to you or someone. But if it's a WordPress project, they might could just run with that from then on. Yeah, I think that's probably one of my favorite things about WordPress is I have complete control over the design and I can lock that down in a way that's good. Not that's a way that's limiting, but in a way that the client's not going to come in and mess up the fonts or the colors or things like that. But it gives them the flexibility that they need to be able to update the site. As we're looking towards the future, one of the things that excites me the most about WordPress is using it as a headless CMS. So you can basically set everything up within WordPress as you would for any other site, except you can have it spit out GraphQL or have it create a REST API so that I could then still use my favorite JavaScript tools like Next.js to pull from the database dynamically. And that's really exciting and really interesting to me. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that developers had gotten away from WordPress from a little bit because they felt locked in where not only does it do the data, but it also does your front end. And developers were starting in the Jamstack to want more and more flexibility and control over their front end and use the JavaScript tools that they're used to. So now 
you can do that exactly like you want. You have WordPress as your headless CMS, and then you build the front end with whatever you want and host that wherever you want as well. Oh, yeah. And I can expand on that a little bit. The thing that I like the most about that is from a client perspective, they're still logging into WordPress, what they know and what they're comfortable with, but you're still able to use the tools that you like on the front end and even create a statically generated site that's just powered by WordPress on the back end. So if you do that, you'd have to host WordPress. You could still host it on Flywheel if you wanted, or you could use one of these other options. And then you would have to find another place to host your front end. And we have the perfect sponsor for hosting that front end code. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. And we're actually hosting the compressed.fm site and my personal site, selfteach.me on Vercel. They also power more well-known sites like Twilio, but you can use them for e-commerce, travel, news, and marketing sites. You name it, they can host it. When I got ready to launch the compressed site, it was super easy. I pointed it to the GitHub repository and told it what folder my next.js project was in, and then it just worked. Ridiculous, right? But they also power over 30-plus Jamstack frameworks, including Create React App, Next, Nuxt, Vue, Ember, Svelte, Angular, Hugo, and Gatsby, just to name a few. But one of my favorite features is when you set up your account, you get your own dashboard. And here you can invite other team members to collaborate or view analytics. So as soon as I push the code to my GitHub repository, it deploys that code and I can watch the build and its entire process through their custom dashboard. So be sure to check out Vercel. I'll include a link in the show notes, but special thanks to Vercel for being a Compressed.fm sponsor. So all in all, we've talked about WordPress, still extremely popular, still a very viable option for people that are building sites. And we have both had pretty good experience, you more so than I, in the freelancing of using WordPress and having that be a pretty lucrative thing to do. And we've actually got a pretty good question coming up in our grab bag questions section here, where we take questions from friends and strangers alike on the internet. And we've got one from our podcast MVP, Developer Cam. And Developer Cam asked, why does WordPress come with negative comments? So we've talked a little bit about that. Like, why does it get a bad rap? And then more specifically, I wanted you to take a stab at this, Amy. Should new developers invest in WordPress? We talked about it. Super popular. It's still being used all over the place. Would you encourage new developers to kind of learn about WordPress as they're getting started? I think it depends on what kind of development that you want to do. So if you want to do freelance or build brochure sites, 100%. If you're trying to do more application-driven code, or focus more on the Jamstack, there might be other options for you that might have more synergy with what you're already learning and doing. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And to the point of if that's what you know you want to do, then you can make that decision. If you don't really know, one of the things that I do a lot, and especially early on when I was getting into web development, is I got really deep into watching tutorials and YouTube videos on certain topics for maybe a couple of weeks at a time. And then that would give me enough information to know if it was something I wanted to spend more time with or move on. And so I actually watched, like I said earlier, a ton of videos on how to build custom things and things in WordPress. But I never actually did that. I learned enough about WordPress to build a few sites, but I didn't actually go that deep because at that point, I didn't really think I needed to. And I started to get more into the JavaScript ecosystem. So if you're debating about it, watch like four or five hours of videos, not at one time over the course of a couple of weeks or something, just to get a decent idea of what's there. And then you can make it a little bit more informed decision of, is this something I need to work with more in the future? Or can I move along to something more Jamstack friendly like you were talking about a second ago? 
Mm-hmm. And if you are more of a Jamstack developer, you might want to look into the headless option. That way you're still doing things on the front end that you're comfortable with. And one thing that we didn't even talk about, but with the most recent versions of WordPress, they've introduced this thing called the Gutenberg editor. It's almost like WordPress's version of a page builder, but all of that is built in React. So if you wanted to create your own pieces for the Gutenberg editor, experiment with that, you can still use your JavaScript skills to be able to enhance those pieces of WordPress. Nice. And one additional question, I'll leave this for you as well. Where's the line for using someone else's widgets or making your own? So what was your thought process when you determined whether or not you needed to make a custom widget or extension or plugin versus using one that was already there in the community? Yeah, it really came down to what I was trying to do. So if I could get it to work quickly, I would try and use my own code. A lot of times the widgets and plugins and themes will all be a little on the bloated side because they're trying to build for the masses and try and build in extra features that more people would like to use than less. If you're doing something for a client, you have a very specific use case in mind. And so if you can limit the amount of code that you're introducing, it's just going to make your site a little bit faster and more efficient and introduce less problems in terms of hacking or backdoors and things that you have to keep updated. If I needed a widget to do something small, I would try and implement that myself unless it ended up being something complicated and then I would reach for somebody else's widget. But after you do this for a while, you get to the point where you really have a set of plugins that you've almost vetted that you know what to reach for in certain situations. And these are plugins that you trust. And in a lot of cases, if they're premium plugins that you have a developer license for, those are safer plugins because you're paying for them there's developers that can spend all day behind them versus just a free thing that somebody threw up on the internet. Love it. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And I leave that one to you because I've never done any of that any of that stuff myself. I've never really built a plugin or a widget myself. I've just used what was in the existing ecosystem. Yes, if I was trying to evaluate a widget or a plugin, I would always look to see when was the last time they updated it. That's a huge telltale sign. Is this actively being developed? And then check the numbers to see how many people have downloaded it and let social proof help you determine whether it's a quality plugin or not. Absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap up our grab bag question section. I always stumble on those words. (laughs) And now we're going to move into our last section of the day, which is our picks and plug section where we pick something that we like that we want to share with you. And then we plug something that we've created or worked on or want to share for someone else as well. Amy, do you have picks and plugs for us today? I do. I'm going to pick a book called Facebook, The Inside Story. And I've been listening to this on Audible and I absolutely love it. I think some of it might be my age and the fact that I was in college when Facebook was released. So I went to MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University, and we were one of the earlier schools that Facebook was released to at the very beginning when you had to have an EDU address in order to register. And I remember sitting in class and everybody talking around me about how awesome Facebook was and how they jumped on and remember logging in the first time. I just remember that whole experience. And so hearing the backstory about all that, how it was built and some of the changes in the iterations and kind of where it stands now. And I was about to say the politics behind it, but literally the politics behind it (laughs) is just fascinating. And from a coding perspective, being able to understand like the hacking mentality (laughs) and wanting to build things and the love for building things and how really that's at the heart of Facebook is just fascinating for me. So I've really enjoyed that particular book. So I would check it out. I'll include a link in the show notes. And then I'm going to plug my Twitch channel. So that's twitch.tv slash self teach me. And I've been streaming 
every weekday morning, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central. So I've been starting my day off that way. We've done a little bit of design, a little bit of development. So it's just been a fun way to hang out with some friends and start my day getting stuff done. James, what about you? Yeah, I am going old person here. So sitting in my chair, my tailbone has been killing me for about a couple of months off and on. So I have an adjustable desk, so I go up and down a lot, but just sitting in the chair has been kind of painful. So I bought an office chair cushion. Again, I couldn't feel any older, but I'll embrace it. So there's a link that we'll have in the show notes to one. I may try out a few different ones. This has been okay. I feel like it's been pretty good, but there may be ones that fit better, but it's just something that kind of has a little gap in the back for your tailbone not to be like pressed up right against your actual chair. And it's like soft and memory foam and all that. So I've been using that for the past couple of weeks. It seems like it's helping. So if anybody is ever having any back pain or tailbone pain, just as much as we sit in our chairs, you might check it out. And then I will plug my YouTube channel. My YouTube channel, as of the recording of this, is almost exactly at 99,000 subscribers. (laughs) In the next several days, I will cross 100,000. And I will have to contact YouTube to get my plaque. So I am on YouTube at James Q Quick. All right. So that is going to wrap up this episode of the Compressed FM podcast talking about WordPress. In the next one, we're going to have something that I think is pretty genuine and going to be a lot of fun to talk about and reflect on as well. So we're going to have an episode called The Struggle Bus, where we talk about things that we've struggled with in our career. And this is coming from the fact that I think a lot of people hear content creators and and people on podcasts and YouTube videos talk about all the success that they've had and not really address some of the struggles that they've gone through in their career and just kind of be more real in that aspect and show you a little bit of a different side of us and our experiences in our career. So really looking forward to putting that together in the next episode. In the meantime, that's all we got.